So we're going to open up the Word of God and, and, uh, and talk about Christmas. You know, I did a little bit of research to see what's going on in the world during this season. And did you know that 160 countries celebrate Christmas? 160 countries, that's well over the majority of the world. That's beyond the majority. In fact, there's only 195 countries total. So we could almost say this, this party is like a, a global event. You know that Christmas is the largest economical stimulus to most of the countries that celebrate Christmas? In other words, oh boy, we got to get the stimulus put together because our economy is not that good. We'll wait until it comes, and all of a sudden, oh, okay, sure glad Christmas showed up. Boy, I hope that nobody cancels Christmas because we need the money to come in. How much money? $1.0002 trillion. So that's $1 trillion a year globally that the world spends on Christmas. It's estimated 80 million Homes are decorated with Christmas lights each year. Mine's one of them. Just want you guys to know that. So I fit in, in, in them. It'd be a lot less if it wasn't that. There's a party going on. There's a celebration coming on. In fact, if you even think about it, what about, you know, from a satellite view, you look down at the world and all these lights are just lit up and the whole world is lit up. It's a little bit different. The darkest day, it's close to the darkest day of the year, is Christmas, and everybody is celebrating. Everybody's spending money. Everybody is excited. Everybody is rejoicing. It is the season to what? Rejoice. So ask a question, though, is why do we celebrate Christmas? I mean, why? I mean, there's been a reaction that this world has anchored into its society, the world's society around the globe, that Christmas is celebrated. A trillion dollars is spent. 160 countries are committed to this celebration. I think it's a legit, legitimate question to ask, why do we celebrate it? Why do we celebrate Christmas? When we come ask that question, we can come up with numerous answers, and, and let's just explore some to see if they're correct. And what I mean by correct, if they're biblically correct. Here's one. Do we celebrate Christmas because we spread joy? That's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. Well, joy is generated from something. Joy just doesn't happen. I mean, so you don't celebrate Christmas, so I gotta generate joy. It's not pushing anything. That's not the reason why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas to have joy. Yes, a lot of joy does take place, but that's not the reason why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas to spend time with family. Yes, we do spend time with family, but that's not the reason this globe is spending $1 trillion. We celebrate Christmas because we are called to by God. Is that the reason why we celebrate Christmas? <laughs> That's not the reason we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas is because it's Jesus' birthday, and we celebrate his birthday. Is that the reason we celebrate Christmas? Uh, I'd say no. It's not the reason we celebrate Christmas. Well, maybe I can reword it a little bit. and We celebrate Christmas because... We are supposed to remember Jesus' birth, and we're supposed to look back at what's going on. That's the reason why we celebrate Christmas, is for that memory. Is that the core base, the dynamics of this huge party that's taking place on the globe happening because we're supposed to remember Jesus' birth? Is that why we celebrate Christmas? I'd say, no, that's not a good answer. Not a good answer. We celebrate Christmas because it is the time God came to earth and walked on earth. Now, I want to tell you that I believe in the bottom of my heart, Jesus is God 
and God left heaven and he came to earth and he walked on earth. But is that the, the dynamics? Is that, is that full enough statement to say, this is why we celebrate Christmas? Or is something being left out? I'd make an argument that some of these answers are pretty good, but something is being left out. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Number one, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You take the word Savior out of Christmas, and you've taken the word celebration out of Christmas. If you take the word Savior out of Christmas, you take the word celebration out of Christmas. However, if you put the word Savior in Christmas, you know what's going to happen? The whole globe is going to light up of a celebration. God walked on earth as a man, the Savior of the world. All of a sudden, it impacts us, and it moves us, and it sends us, and launches us into a party that is absolutely amazing. If you look through Scripture, every single Christmas story is centered around this one fact. The Savior has arrived. The Savior has arrived. I know it's his birthday, but it's like, it's his birthday. The Savior has arrived. The Savior has arrived, and the message that's being driven in the Bible is this word, the Savior is here. The Savior is here. We don't understand Christmas unless we understand the Old Testament, so what we're going to do is we're going to give the Christmas story from the Old Testament before we go into Luke and see what has taken place. In fact, I'm not only going to give you the Christmas story in the Old Testament, I'm going to teach you the entire Old Testament. I know I only have 15 minutes, but I can do it. I know we can do it. The entire Old Testament can be taught if you understand the theme. And what is the theme? The theme is an underlying idea that everything points to. It is what everything rests on. So you have this theme that goes through the Old Testament, and everything feeds off of this theme. Everything feeds off off of this, this theme. So what is the theme? Adam and Eve were in the garden. God had fellowship with them. Remember who God is. He's all good. He's all great. He's all powerful. He's all beautiful. Everything good you can possibly imagine is God, and he is with Adam and Eve in the garden. He wanted to have an intimate relationship, a relationship with Adam and Eve. And to have that relationship, you have to give them a choice so they can respond to you, and you can see that he responds to them. That's what takes place. So they could choose God, all goodness and everything, or they can choose to be their own God, or they could even choose to embrace another God. The story goes, they chose to embrace another God. They fell in the garden, and sin entered the system. And what happens as a result of sin? Genesis 3 says this, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. And ever since then, we've been dying. We've been dying of disease, we've been dying of sickness, we've been dying of cancer, we've been dying of old age, we've been dying of addictions, we've been dying of murder, we've been dying of suicide, we've been dying of accidents, heart attacks, strokes, natural catastrophes. I don't know if you've ever studied the logistics, statistics on death, but they're astronomical. One out of one dies. Everybody gets wiped out. Every since that one day. Is God going to do anything? Is God going to do Anything? Is there any hope for a human being? There's hope. I spoke to a man named Abraham and said, you will be a father of many nations. There will be a nation that is 
mine? How could there be a nation, a sinful nation that would be his only if he sends a savior? Only if he sends a savior. So all the way through the Old Testament, it's all these, lineage, um, these genealogies walking towards this awesome savior that is gonna come. And it's mentioned that it's gonna come through this king named David. And when it comes up to David, David is not the savior, but what is he gonna do? He's gonna even proclaim the need for a savior. So you get David to show up, a man after God's own heart, and all of a sudden you get David's heart. And what does David's heart says? Well, let's just read David's heart. Because if you read David's heart, you understand what's going on in the mind, I will say, of people around the world and of the Old Testament saints. Psalms 3, 7, and I'm not going to give the addresses, I'm just going to read. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God. Return, O Lord, and rescue my soul. Save me, because you are loving kindness. Save me, O Lord. May the king answer us in the day we call. Save me from the lion's mouth. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock, my strength, the stronghold. Please save me. Make your face shine upon your servants. Save me in your loving kindness. Redeem us for the sake of your loving kindness. Save me, O God by your name. Ask for me and I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. Save me with your right hand and answer us. Save me, O God. O draw near to my soul and please, God, redeem it. And your righteousness deliver me and please rescue me. Incline your ear to save me. Save the children of the needy. Stir up your power and come to save us. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Restore us, God, please, O oh God, our salvation. Show us your loving kindness, O oh Lord, and grant us your salvation. Preserve my soul, O oh my God, and save your servant who trusts in you. Save us, O oh Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations. Help me, God. Save me according to your loving kindness. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. Heal me, O oh Lord, and I'll be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are my praise. It's busting at the seams of David and the psalmist that they need a savior, desperately need a savior. What's the Old Testament about? I fell and I am in need. We've gotta have a savior, we've gotta have a savior. And all of a sudden you get this story found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet and in this particular story, uh, Judah, which was God's people, were going to get annihilated. Israel and Syria all of a sudden joined up against them. And I'll tell you, it was as ugly as you're going to get. They were people who needed a savior. So Isaiah, being the prophet, went to the king and to give the king security that God is behind him. So what did he do? He came to the king and he said this, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, and Ahaz is this king. And I will tell you, he's not a Christian at the end of the conduit, and say to him, take care, be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted. What was uh, Ahaz's reaction? I can just kind of tell you what I think that he was thinking as we we're walking into this verse. I was, God, are you crazy? When you open your eyes, Israel is on one side, and you have Syria on the other side, we are doomed. We need salvation, and there is no power strong enough 
to save us. But then God did something he'd never done before. He'd never seen it in the Bible before. You know what God did? Look at this passage. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord, your God. Make it as deep as a Sheol, which is grave, or as high as a heaven. Here Ahaz is the king of God's people, and God said, you can do anything you want. You do it, and I'll show you that I exist. You do it, and I will show you that I exist. What would you do if God said that to you? You know, I started thinking about it. You know, I think some of the things that I would do is I'd say, okay, God, what I want you to do is I want you to take the sea, and I want you to put the entire sea in the sky, and then I want to float all the way around the earth and see what the earth looks like without the sea. Ahaz could have done that. Look at the verse. He could have done absolutely anything. Another thing he could have done, I mean, something I probably would have done, is said, God, what I want to do is to just show that you exist. I want to take the sun, and I want to put it in my pocket and see how you like that, see how that works. I mean, I want to see if you're powerful. You've got to be powerful if I can put the sun in my pocket. This command was given to Ahaz. He could have done absolutely anything. Or something else, maybe like play ping pong with the stars. He was given freedom to do anything. With that freedom, he said these words, but Ahaz said, I will not ask nor will I test the Lord. And this ticked God off. We know that because 13 says this. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight of a thing for you to try the patience of men that you would even try the patience of God? He said, I told you to take care. I told you to be calm. I told you to have fear. I told you to be faint-hearted. And I said, all you have to do is ask for something and I will show you that you can be calm in the most difficult situations. You can be faint-hearted in the most difficult situations. And you refuse to even do it. All you had to do is looking for a sign. So instead, God took matters in his own hands, and he said this, Therefore, the Lord himself, he will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be born a child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Ahaz could have done anything to receive peace. And he didn't, to show that God was on his side, and, and, and he didn't do it. But as a result, God took matters in his hands and says, well, okay, what I'm going to do, and it just slipped out of Isaiah's mouth, there will be a sign that a Savior is going to come, and then that sign is then explained. You will call his name Emmanuel. A virgin will be born and bear a son, and that is his name, and it's called God with us. God is going to walk on this planet. There's going to be a Savior. There's going to be a Savior. Then the next two chapters, what we do is we see people completely and entirely distressed because of Ahaz's reaction. In the process of him being distressed, Isaiah says this, but there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, the Savior is coming to the world. But this was 700 years before Jesus even came, the Savior even came. 700 years, this prophecy came out. David's pleading for a Savior. 
the Savior is described in Isaiah, and we're still waiting for the Savior. And before we get to the New Testament, the Old Testament is busting at the seams of where is the Savior? Where is the Savior? What is the Savior going to look like? What's going to take place? And then all of a sudden you look at the New Testament and you hear these words. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For today in the city of David, connects the Old Testament, not anew, there has been born for you a Savior, and he is Christ the Lord. What's people's reaction to that? Because, I mean, these are partying words, I just want to tell you, because if you start looking at the Old Testament, I mean, they're busting at the seams, knowing that they need a Savior. But what was people's reaction? After these words were spoken, it's fun to look at people's reactions, because Mary, the mother of Jesus, said this. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God. And she can't leave the Christmas message out. My, what? Savior. Zacharias had a response like this. Something's big that just happened. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished, what? Redemption for his people. This is the guy, he's saying. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. There's not a lot of people that have, you know, the, the pen in regards to the Bible and when Jesus was born, but every single one of them who had the pen, you know, Luke was writing the stories, interviewing, those reactions were given, you're always gonna get Savior. Simeon's reaction was this. Simeon received a, a vision that he'd find a Savior, because they're all looking for one. He'd find the Savior before he died. Prophecy came true, and this is his response to that. Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, saying, it's all right now, God, for me to die, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which have been prepared in the presence of all the people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people of Israel. And the whole thing that's driving this is Luke 2, for today, again, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then all of a sudden, the party takes place. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising, to God and, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. He pointed to heaven first. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what? Peace. On earth, peace. Savior has arrived on earth, peace among men, getting very specific, with whom he is well pleased. If you take the word Savior out of Christmas, you take the word celebration out of Christmas. What is Christmas? The Savior, the Savior has arrived. The Savior has arrived. You might be thinking, well, Mike, you know, that's very narrow-minded. It's very exclusive because you just mentioned that 160 countries celebrate Christmas out of 195. 
and you just claim Christmas all to your message. <laughs> the Savior has arrived. And I will say I did. I did claim Christmas, whole Christmas, all to the message. The Savior has arrived. Is it narrow-minded? I'll tell you the most narrow-minded word probably in the English dictionary. You know what it is? It's Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas. Break it up. Split it in half. You have Christ and then you have must. Christ means, in, in Greek, Christos, which means anointed one. The anointed one. The chosen one. I mean, that is, that is about as narrow-minded as you can get. That's not, that's not two. It's not three. This is the anointed one. And the word mas, where you get the word mass. And what is mass? It's a celebration of sacraments with the Catholic Church. But when that Christmas word first came out on the scene in the fourth century, there was a special mass that was given specifically to Jesus. So if you look at that word Christmas, it comes from this is the one celebrate. That's it. This is the one party hard. <laughs> I mean, if you want to work out to celebrate, this is the one celebrate. Now, you really want to take it to a new level, say word Merry Christmas. Because <laughs> if you start defining the word Merry, it's cheerful, which literally means live it up. I mean, think about this. You have the one, and you say Merry Christmas, Merry, live it up. This is the one celebrate. That's what the statement is. Every time you see, say the word Christmas, you're proclaiming the words, Merry Christmas, live it up. This is the one, the Savior of the world, celebrate. Every time that word comes out, it's just like, oh, praise God, this is good. We live in a world that wants to get rid of that word, and that's probably a good idea if you don't believe in Jesus, because every time you're using it, you're proclaiming the Savior is the one, and that is why the world is celebrating. So I looked it up a little bit to see how well people are doing in regards to getting rid of that word, Christmas, and um, yesterday I just kind of went on to the headlines, and, and I, found, I found a couple headlines I'd just like to show to you, and uh, a couple headlines that come out, this is USA Today, and in that headline, I get really excited, and the reason why, because two times they're saying, he is the anointed one, celebrate. Because <laughs> every time you see Christmas, that's what's going to come out. He is anointed one, celebrate. It's being proclaimed from USA Today. The next one, the USA Today has a whole Christmas piece, and I will tell you it's download after download after download, saying he is the one, celebrate. And then the next one, CNN is on board with them as well. A white, he is the one, Celebrate. We go to MSNBC, we'll see that as well. Twice, he is the one, celebrate. He is the one, celebrate. Buy this little wristband thing. Go on to the next one. CNN Politics, AOC Reacts. Oh my goodness, he is the one, celebrate twice. He is the one, celebrate twice. And then he comes up again. He is the one on ABC News, twice. Celebrate. He is the one, celebrate. This is not good journalism if you don't know Jesus. It's not. Because every time that word comes out, you are saying he is the one celebrate. So if I'm narrow-minded, so are they. And if they don't think he's the one, they obviously haven't got the memo to make sure that's taken off. That word's never going to die. He is the one, the what? The Savior of 
the world. And the entire world, all 60 countries, are centered around that one word called Christmas. That's the one that they use. So let's just do a fast review. 160 countries celebrate Christmas. Out of 195, that only leaves 25 countries that don't celebrate Christmas. Christmas is the largest economic stimulus to the nations that celebrate it. They cannot wait to Christmas because they know that somebody knows how to party. And we're partying under that name. He is the one. Celebrate. Of course. Why not have a party? During this party, we're spending $1 trillion a year. Estimated 80 million people have put up Christmas lights and decorations in their home. And who's driving this thing? CNN, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CBS, USA Today. Even if they don't know it, they're telling the world, he is the one, celebrate. He is the one, celebrate. With this whole world being lit up at this party, which I just think is just awesome, I just want to narrow it down a little bit and ask you the question, why do you celebrate Christmas? Because the whole world's celebrating, and a lot of people don't even know why they're celebrating. They're using a word they don't even know why they're, they're celebrating. But let's get very specific. Why do you celebrate Christmas? Christmas is the most personal thing in, say, the entire planet. What do you mean personal? Let's put the verse up again. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you. Now, who's he speaking? He's speaking to the shepherds. Well, then why didn't you say shepherds? Because it's the word of God. And the word of God makes a statement to shepherds. He's not just making a statement to shepherds. He's making a statement to the ones that are opening up the word and reading it. Therefore, when you look at this verse, it looks back at you in the face. And says again these words. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And what's his name? His name is Jesus, which means Savior. Everything pins from this concept. Savior. And he's speaking specifically to you. One thing that we can all agree on is that this world is tough. <laughs> this world is really, really rough. Broken relationships, broken families, broken bodies. We struggle, we hurt, we fear. It is very, very difficult, and we all know where we'll end up, and that's in the grave when it's all done. We respond to that in many, many different ways. We respond to it it's like, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm going to ignore it. I'm not even going to question it. I'm not going to put my mind there. I'm young now. You know, I'll be young for the rest of my life. I'll avoid the topic, or maybe I'll just endure it. Maybe I'll just suck it up. You know, we try to react to all the toughness of this world in many, many different ways. Is there any hope? There is hope. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior, and during this season, the whole world is exploding with, uh, with, with celebration because a Savior has arrived. Do you believe he's a Savior? Or have you taken him as a Savior? Are you shouting the name Christmas? He's the anointed one, celebrate, and it comes in your heart, or it comes in your head, comes out of your mouth, but it hasn't hit your 
heart. Christmas is supposed to hit your heart. Why? Because a Savior to you has specifically been born. So as you look at this and it looks back at you, what's your reaction to it? My reaction is, what do you want me to do, God? <laughs> I mean, there's a Savior. What do you want me to do? I mean, do I need to you know, go into full-time ministry? You know, do I need to not sin for the rest of my life? Do I need to um, work my way up into salvation? Just give me a ch- statement of what I need to do because there's been born for me a Savior. What does a Savior do? A Savior does everything for you to be saved. That's what a Savior does. Savior does everything for you to be saved, and then you are given instructions. Believe. In fact, two in our notes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and what's going to happen? You'll be saved. Believe. What do you mean, believe? Here's a great start. Celebrate Christmas. (laughs) Celebrate him. If you believe you are taking him as your savior, you're taking him as your Lord, you're taking him as your master, you have every reason in the world to celebrate. In fact, this is going to come up because you just found the answer if you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe you're anchoring yourself to the answer of salvation. Believe. What else are you supposed to do? Celebrate Christ. Take him as your king. Embrace him as your Lord. Take him as your master. He is a savior of the world, and everybody is proclaiming it. And it's given specifically to you. What's your response to it? Does it hit your mind, maybe hit your mouth, but not hit your heart? If it hasn't hit your heart, I just want to challenge you to say the words, God, I believe. I believe that this is the answer. The world acts like they believe, but they don't. But I believe that this is the answer, not even for the world, but for me. You are a king of kings, Lord of lords, my savior. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. From dust you came, from dust you will return, unless you have a savior bless you have your Savior. God, we just pray for everybody in this room. We don't want anybody walking out of this room refusing you as Savior. God, we just pray that you would just be penetrating hearts, penetrating minds, giving people an understanding of the gift they have in you. I just pray, God, that people would see that clearly and then rejoice and celebrate. I pray that people would see it clearly and then rejoice and celebrate. You came to earth. You lived a perfect life, a life we could not live. You went to the cross and you died on it, paying the price for our sins, rose again, and you are alive today. Our Savior has come. And I just pray that all of us, God, in this room accept him. In Christ's name, amen.